really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you would like to get in touch, well, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just drop me a good old-fashioned email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So, As always, there was a ton of rugby this weekend. There was a lot to talk about. So let's get right to it. So as always, we start with our current updates. And you know what? It's it's been a couple of weeks of, I would describe it as unnerving employment situations for both my partner and myself. Uh, My company announced a rather large round of layoffs, news that came as quite a surprise to me, at least, though at... At this stage, as I record this, that particular guillotine has done its work and has left me ungrazed, at least for now. So that's nice. little nerve-wracking to have no idea when that might happen again. I, I just have a vague feeling of being followed around by the sort of Damocles at this point. Uh, for my partner, who's a teacher, and a great one, I might add, her town approved pretty massive and sweeping budget cuts for next year. Cuts that will very likely impact her role significantly, to the point where she'd probably be forced to look for alternate employment uh, the good news is many, many people in that community are outraged by this. And there's a, a referendum uh, coming on March 14th tomorrow, as I record this, to hopefully and potentially override that budget decision and keep the funding where it is. As Cicero said, though I'm obviously paraphrasing, there could be no happiness for one who is under constant apprehensions. So, you know, if you have any good vibes or bits of luck, you can send our way. As always, it'll be greatly appreciated. Yes, Isa, I can say it is good news. So, I mean, it's actually a bit of a, a nothing piece, really. But I did find just a nice little thing about Stuart Hogg and Gregor Townsend's endorsement of him. So quoting here, quote, Scotland head coach Gregor Townsend has heaped praise on Stuart Hogg ahead of the fullback's 100th test for his country against Ireland on this, pa- what is now, this past Sunday. The 30-year-old has been lauded as one of the best players in the history of Scottish rugby as a mouth-watering Six Nations fixture with the Irish looms large. Since making his debut against Wales in 2012, Hogg has matured into an elite player, and Townsend is hoping his century can help inspire his team to victory. Quote, It's very well-deserved, the head coach said of Hogg's feet. He's been one of our best players of the last 10 years, but also in the history of Scottish rugby. The creative nature of his game, his durability, his love of the jersey, his love of playing the game has been constant throughout that period, right from 19 to 20 years old when I first started working with him at Scotland and then at Glasgow. It blew me away to see his passing with either hand, his kicking ability, his speed. He's been one of the best rugby players I've had the pleasure to work with. It's a great game to win your 100th cap back at home with a trophy at stake. He'll lead the team out, and I'm sure the crowd will want to show their love for him and their appreciation of what he's done in that jersey, unquote. How that would end up going... We are about to find out, but in the lead up, I mean, maybe I'm corny, but I just really appreciated this little tidbit. 
So moving on to our thoughts of the week, and my thoughts this week are on Super Rugby and one of the new rules that they've sort of tweaked for this year. So I actually should have mentioned this last week when the, or a couple weeks ago when the season kicked off. So they're finally adopting a rule variation that I've been personally advocating for, I mean, as long as I can remember, though <laughs> I doubt they made any changes because they were listening. Uh, so basically... When there's a yellow card, the ref can just ask the TMO to look more closely at it, and over the next eight minutes, they can review it closely and decide if it needs to be upgraded to a red card. So sensible. So they they do still have that wacky 20-minute red card down there, uh, which I don't care for, but the yellow at a minimum rule just makes a ton of sense. Rebels versus Hurricanes was the first time we saw an upgraded card this year, and I really hope this change catches on everywhere worldwide. Okay, that brings us to our reviews. And of course, we start with the Six Nations, starting with Italy versus Wales. You know, I went into this one just very nervous. Things seem so dire for Wales these days. It feels like rubbernecking watching at this point. It almost feels like one should avert avert one's eyes. Um, right off the bat, though, the, the comms took a dig at Reese Webb, observing that despite only being in Rome for 24 hours, he already had a full body tan. Really, dude? You're firing shots before the game even starts? Come on! In any event, it was a gorgeous day, described by the comms as delectable, though the Stadio Olimpico definitely didn't look full. You know, maybe it was too nice a day to go sit at a stadium for several hours. Um, it was a relief to see Wales get on the board first. Felt like a day not to turn down any shots at goal. Soon after, it was Rio Dyer taking advantage of the bounce of the ball to get a surprise try of a very clever kick from Reese Webb. And the same guy on comms said, with kicks like that, I guess we can, uh, can uh, forgive him his year-round tan. Damn, man, he's off already. So, feels like I'm only talking about the comms here, but they were right that Italy were taking their sweet time getting their lineouts going, and the ref just let them do it. Kind of a, a frustrating disregard of the newest law changes. Uh, the Azuri got on the board to make it three to ten after a quarter hour, and I was already on heart attack number, I don't know, four or five. Whoa! Then, oh, oh, Liam Williams. Liam Williams blew everyone's mind, scything through, I don't know, five players, maybe even six, to get an incredible individual try out wide. How on earth did he do that? The visitors also looked ferocious on defense. There was just an air of seriousness about them in general. No overt celebrating, no carrying on, and definitely no smiles, just all business. A big moment as the clock read all threes with Wales opting for the corner rather than the points, and it, it felt like this would be a turning point for good or ill. Can somebody dump a bucket of water on me or something? <laughs> anyway, disaster then for the home side giving away a penalty try off the ensuing ball, and Welsh fans must have been over the moon. The comms pointed out the Italians had lost 28 straight home games at the Olympico, suggesting they might want to relo relocate these fixtures to Florence, where they'd beaten teams like Australia in recent memory. Some confusing moments right on halftime, with Wales headed into the lockers, up on top 3-22. to A controversial yellow to Italy early in the second, and then it was, uh, it was Faletau on his 99th cap, getting Wales' fourth try of the day after scoring just three in the prior three rounds combined. With just seven minutes to go, Italy were knocking on the door, but a few more handling errors saw their chances slip away, and the relief on the faces of the Welsh players was unmistakable. As the final whistle blew, Wales getting their first win of the tournament, 17-29. to Finally, finally, some good news for the proud rugby region. 
So England versus France was the most interesting game of the weekend to me, but not necessarily the one I cared the most about, which sort of put me in a great place to just just sit back and take it all in right at the top during the anthems. What was going on with the French? Like one entire side of the line was outright laughing about something. I just wish I could know what they had been talking about. Anyway, as we got started immediately, the strains of swing low began raining down from the dimwit peanut gallery. And I wasn't sure I'd ever wanted a team to lose as badly as I did that moment. France struck almost immediately. And soon after, as they lined up a penalty kick, they showed the useless stat they often do the quote predicted kick success rate unquote and but they they paired it with a new one the historical success rate which while probably equally meaningless seemed a lot more interesting to me go figure as it unfolded france jumped out early and kept the pressure on the comms saying quote you'd have to say after this half hour france have demolished the english unquote but the hosts finally got on the board after a half hour and it was only three to 17 at that point so Dombrandt was taking a hammering, uh, you know, probably right, right, rightly so, uh, from the comms who, after another silly mistake on his part, opined, there's no Indiana Jones out there for England. And I, I haven't the foggiest what that was supposed to mean. So after more scrum dominance by the visitors, it was a beautiful try for Olivon to take them into the break 3-27. to It was a big turnaround for the French, looking like they'd gotten back to form, perhaps for the first time this tournament so good. It wasn't until the 47-minute mark that England would get their first try, and at 10 to 27, the comms said, quote, there was a glimmer of hope, unquote, for English fans. Uh, great stat for you. France had never beaten England by more than 25 points, which was the margin of uh, a victory twice in history in 1972 and in 2006. So as the tide kept rolling in, it was <laughs> obviously Dam Damien Penno getting a beauty out wide. The comms proclaimed, English rugby has been brought to its knees. Just just lovely prose. I loved that phrase. Just a minute or so later, it was Penno again, this time also in the corner to bring France past 50. The comms were apoplectic. In the end, a statement win with the French really needing this one. It was 10 to 53, a record setting day at Twickenham. Holy cow. So Scotland versus Ireland would finish off the weekend in the Six Nations and if only, if only, yeah. Oh. I realized going into this one, if Scotland were able to get a massive upset win here, it would have been my favorite Six Nations weekend of all time. However, that was just that little, you know, that pesky old hope talking. So I tried my best to keep it in check. Actually had a buddy come over to watch this time. And it, he was actually in Scotland in the late 90s and fondly recalled all the, you know, the atmosphere and the hoopla surrounding Six Nations. He even wore his jersey from all those years ago. So it was a really cool afternoon for me, you know, despite the inevitable outcome. Uh, early on, it was incredible defense by Scotland that kept Ireland from getting a try. Though it, it felt like they were knocking on the door for days and days when Scotland got the first try of the day to go up 7-3, to three, there was genuine cause for optimism. Ireland, of course, fought back, and after the home team kind of bungled a great opportunity right on halftime, it was 7-8 to eight in a nail-biter. 7-8 to eight was how it would remain for a good chunk of the second half. Ireland saw both their hookers head off for injuries, with the comms telling us this represented a huge opportunity for the Scots, though that turned out to be a swing and a miss. 17 minutes into the second stanza, it was James Lowe breaking through with Jack Conan joining him just five minutes later. The beating was on. Scotland would fail to score another point, on top of which 
Several players, including Finn, looked like they'd suffered injuries. I'd be very surprised if we don't have a new 10 next week. Not to be outdone, Ireland counted about five injured players, including oh, a nasty one to Gary Ringrose, not a pretty sight. In the end, the machine just kept humming along, failing to get a bonus point try for the first time in the tournament, but non- uh, nevertheless getting an emphatic win at Murrayfield 7-22. to 22. So just a, a quickie sum up of where we stand. Ireland still very much have a chance, and in fact, a very, very good one to get a Grand Slam next weekend. With France still close on their heels, though, Scotland and England are locked in third place. Wales finally moved up past Italy on the table, and despite some predictable results, we're still set up for a very lovely and compelling final weekend on Saturday. Okay, swinging way down to Super Rugby Pacific. So according to our Twitter poll this week, Western Force versus Moana Pacifica was our game of the week. And right off the bat, the sound designers did a fabulous job of setting the stage with the beautiful sounds coming out of the Moana locker room, fading in as the cameras brought us in, the players singing a hymn-like song with just grace and quite a bit of sweet harmony, just a a smashing way to set up the contest to follow. As for the game itself, it took the hosts literally 30 seconds to score their first try, and we were off and running. Cards on the table here. I was surprised y'all picked this one for our featured match, but as is so often the case, I'm very glad to have been wrong. It was incredible. It was a fantastic match. Thank you for that choice. So while it wasn't a deluge of scoring, it still felt like a dominant performance by the visitors, and at a half hour gone, they led 6-15. to 15. Jeremy Thrush looked like the best player out there for the force, and I wondered if that was a bad sign, seeing, seeing as they literally coaxed him out of retirement to even be there. So Falao Fatenga, now a surprise addition to the force, did what, it, what he always does. I mean, if he's at the back of them all, he's in. It's just over. He he gets to pick the side, and you just have to watch and make a face when he grounds it. I, for one, am very curious what Eddie Jones thinks about him. He was he was very much in and then very definitely out of the Wallabies the last couple of years. So this is a pretty good audition for their new coach. Anyway, with a yellow on one side and a yellow upgraded to red on the other, it was a tight one. It was 13 to 18 after a grueling 60 minutes. As I wrote that down, Bang! It was the force in the corner to tie it up with a chance to follow gripping stuff, but 18 all it would remain then. Oh, oh my word, force. Got double yellow cards. We're staring down the barrel of the gun with 13 players and two and a half minutes to go. After the clock had gone red, it was Western Force drawing the penalty and setting up an easy kick to win, though. 21 to 18, a crusher for the visitors and a great match of the week. So Chiefs versus Highlanders was our first fixture of this week, time-wise at least. And I have to say, I clearly underestimated how bad things were going to be for my Highlanders this season. You look at that roster, and they look great. But you watch the games, and they don't look like they belong in this competition. It's frightening. Anyway, over the first two rounds, they surrendered more points than any team in Super Rugby history, which is mind-boggling. And this weekend, it was loss number three, Chiefs grabbing a tri-bonus point to boot, winning 28-7. Ah, painful. Rebels versus Wartos, which are our other Friday fixture. I love the energy the Rebels bring, and they, they fairly dominated the Taz for the first half. The visitors got close, but in the end, it was a nice first win for the Rebels as the chance rained down from the happy crowd, 34-20, to with Michael Hooper looking visibly frustrated at the end there. Then, oh, 
Fijian Drua hosting the Crusaders. This brought us to Lotoka on a simply spectacular day. And drawing energy from the crowd and the conditions, the Drua found themselves in the lead entering the final quarter of play. But the visitors reminded us all who they were as they smashed a mall through into the corner, getting a conversion to take the lead as the clock wound towards red. However, oh my word, with the clock well past 80, Drua got a penalty Knocked it through for a one-point win at home, 25-24. to The entire stadium going absolutely mad. That's already two losses for Crusaders this season. Just an incredible result. Then Hurricanes versus Blues. I mean, this one, was it was a veritable who's who of All Blacks. But to me, it looked like the home team might have felt like a little bit of a green starting 15. Didn't quite know what to make of that. Had they decided to throw this one away, maybe? Oh. In perhaps the comms moment of the week, Jordy Barrett shanked one off the uprights and they said, yeah, he bangs it right off the post and there's a unicorn running along behind it. And now I've seen everything, which somehow cracked me up and I don't know, warmed my heart at the same time. So I expected this one to be close, but at halftime, it was five to 22 and no signs were pointing the right way for the Canes. Second half was all hurricanes, but they would fall just short. Both teams out on their feet by the end 19 to 25 was the final then brumbies versus the reds that finished off the round it was slow going with points at a premium 13 to zip at halftime different story but the same result in the second 40 brumbies winning again 23 to 17 so i know it's early but just to keep you all up to date only the chiefs and brumbies remain undefeated with blues hurricanes and early surprises, Fijian Drua and Western Forest already at two wins apiece. Four teams have notched a single victory. The Waratahs, the Crusaders, the Reds, and the Rebels, while Moana Pacifica and my snakebit Highlanders lie at the very bottom of the table with a goose egg in the win column. So shifting over just slightly to the Super Rugby Alpiki, it was our third and final round, starting with Chiefs Manawa versus Matatu on a whew, spectacular day in Waikato, playing in front of a somewhat sparse crowd, I'll say, but those who did make it there were very enthusiastic and no wonder. So the visitors got on the board very quickly, but this one quickly turned into a barn burner, the lead changing hands every few minutes, both teams looking stronger by the moment. However, the Chiefs Manawa, they started to take control right as the half was winding down and you blinked and suddenly they'd come from 8 to 19 down to 34 to 19 up and Matatu would look to make some serious adjustments during the break. It wasn't until the 70 minute mark that Matatu got even one more point though, but amazingly, they put together 19 more in that final 10 minutes. What a last minute turnaround. However, it just wasn't enough. Manawa remaining unbeaten in this competition and closing out their campaign 46 to 38. Woo. Then it was Hurricanes Pua versus the Blues women, and what a match it turned out to be. With only one try apiece in the first half, it looked like a low-scoring affair before. I mean, both sides fairly blew up in the second. After being up 22 to 12, the Pua gave up 19 unanswered points, led by Captain Ruahe DeMont. Blues getting their first win of the competition 22 to 31 by the end. Okay, then it was time to go way back up to England for the Gallagher Premiership. And in the Prem, you all voted for Gloucester versus Leicester to be the game of the week. <laughs> that was obviously before any of you could have known that we were in our in for our first nil-nil halftime score this entire season. But at the start of the second, 
a bizarre sight as Hadri Pollard, he fielded a little kick by Mian, who attempted to tackle him. Pollard just kind of stood up, lifting Mian completely off the ground and unceremoniously dumping him to the turf. Not a malicious play, but a feat of remarkable strength. It was something else. So as we say in Massachusetts, irregardless, it was Lester finally getting on the board after 55 minutes. And despite the awkward pace, I was quite enjoying this one. A weirdly pissed off Johnny May finally got the cherry and whites, or in this case, the cherry and giant number fours on the board. Uh, though Carreras would make, miss the extras, might have been the hot pants he was wearing, which I assume he must have purchased from like a defunct roller disco back in 1975. Then a yellow card of the home team opened the door for another Tigers try, and at 5-19 to 19, with under seven minutes to play, it just wasn't looking good for Gloucester. A second yellow, overlapping the first, spelled a tough ending for the frustrated fans at King's home. Down 5-19 to 19 with 90 seconds on the clock, Gloucester were aiming at a losing bonus point, but... We had a humorous bit right at the end with Andy Good selecting uh, Julian Mantoja as the player of the match, which forced the cameras to put him on the screen while he was riding the pine in the sin bin. Great stuff. Anyway, then it was the IIT, the insult to injury try for Leicester. The comms were out of their minds with the reigning champs grabbing five points at the death and five to 26 was your final score. Northampton versus Bath was actually the first match this weekend on a bit of an odd schedule, and it was plenty of fun despite Bath's Battleship Grey, like 1984, the novel, not the year, inspired like prison uniforms. I mean, is somebody actually going to buy one of those things? Yuck. Anyway, fittingly, it was the I now know they're good Saints winning 45 to 26. Uh, anyway. Exeter versus Newcastle happened, and the score was 24-5. to 5. Boo! London Irish versus Sale was next in the docket. The Exiles made mincemeat out of the Sharks, bopping them on the nose and coming away winners. Uh, winners. I guess it was the South African influence. Uh, by a factor of two, it was 36-18 to 18 at the Gatach Stadium. Finally, Bristol versus Harlequins. You had to wonder which Bears team was going to show up. The one who looked like an unstoppable force last week, or, you know, the one we've been watching all year long so far. Quinns were without a couple of internationals, but were still likely the favorites. Uh, by the way, I, I looked it up, and this game was actually played on the 83rd anniversary of Finland agreeing to Soviet peace terms, ending the Russo-Finnish War. And those terms were negotiated by Danny Kerr back in his early 40s, so it was nice to see him out there to commemorate the occasion. <laughs> the comms, as they so love to do, mentioned that A.J. McGinty is a U.S. international and went on to say it's too bad he won't be going to the Rugby World Cup this year. Yeah, thanks. We know. Either way, Harlequins fairly got their clocks cleaned to the tune of 51 to 26, another massive outpouring by the Bears. By the way, I alluded to this last week. Have you noticed how freaking good Rondrandra has been ever since signing with Lyon for next year? It's like he hit the... I'm free to do whatever I want button. And he's suddenly, you know, making audacious offloads, sneaky little defensive plays, passing to people in better positions to score when he actually, you know, would try to force things himself in ordinary circumstances. I mean, he's been the MVP of the last few weeks, at least to me. Bristol fans must be like, what the F? Anyway, there's only four more rounds in the Prem this year. And as you'll recall, the top four teams advanced the postseason action heading into this week. Those four slots were held by Saracens, Sale, Leicester, and somehow, almost unbelievably, Northampton. At the conclusion of this weekend, those top four spots remained as they were, but 
London Irish and Exeter inched a little closer to that cutoff line. You know, though it would be a mighty fall for one of those table toppers to be overtaken this late. However, depending on the team, there are either three or four more fixtures on the slate this year in the Prem, and a little bit of movement is still possible. Very cool stuff. Okay, hopping over across the pond to here in the United States and kind of Canada. It was time for Major League Rugby once again. Well, 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 Saturday. My friends marked the return of my beloved Free Jacks to Fort Quincy for their home opener. As with last year, it was a St. Paddy's Day theme. And if you if you haven't already, be sure to check out some of the pics I posted on Twitter. Uh, my Free Jacks were, of course, facing Old Glory DC. It was it was phenomenal to be back. The friends we've made in our section are all back. Phil from Jack's Rangers was there, of course, you know, along with Spider and the whole gang. Longtime supporter of the pod, John, was there with his entire lovely family. Got to say hi to TK before the match started. It was it was just fantastic. It's pretty remarkable, by the way, because last year there was a, you know, what we call here a wintry mix and, a, a, you know, windy, cold conditions for our home opener. And this year, yep, you guessed it, same exact thing. Maybe not quite so cold this year, but the fact that we had two beautiful days followed by the traditional Free Jacks home opener weather, followed by another gorgeous day, I mean... I guess we just need to lean into it, right? Like, hey, rest of the league, when y'all come here, it's going to suck. I only wish we could get teams from legitimately warm states to come here for this tradition. It would be more of a shock to them. You know, technically, yes, D.C. is to the south of us, but the climate is very, very similar there. Can we open at home next year against, I don't know, Dallas, please, please? In any event, it was such a fun contest, and... While it looked like we might take complete control, we had a bit of a let-up as the game wore on. DC were determined to claw back into it. Their scrum half, oh, all day long, he caused us some serious headaches. The match got pretty chippy out there more than once as well, but I attributed that to the return of Jesse the Pest Perete, who instantly came back into our starting lineup and then bossed our lineouts like he'd never even been away. Paula Bellacana also came up huge for us. He's someone I've said here we should be, I don't know, getting a little more out of. And whatever he did this offseason, I mean, it's all coming together now for him for sure. Two negatives to report. One was the sight of the eternal captain, Josh Larson, free jack number one, slowly walking off with a lot of help as he grimaced and clutched, I mean, either his hand or his wrist. It was hard to tell exactly. And I, I certainly don't want to speculate, but the look on his face did not speak to anything good. I really hoped to hear good news about that and him very soon. The other bad thing, man, beers went up like a buck or two. An absolute catastrophe. <laughs> Just kidding. It's still incredibly affordable. So reasonable. Love it. Anyway, as I said, DC, they managed to get close, too close, I'd say, towards the end. Legitimately, they had a shot to overtake us right at the death, but some desperate defense saw us through. Just dogged defense all night long. And as the ref blew that final whistle, it was the New England Free Jacks 34, the visiting team from the District of Columbia 31. Free Jacks have won every home opener they've played to date, and that's a tradition I hope continues for years to come. So elsewhere around the league, it was the Second City Puppies taking on the artists formerly known as the Toronto Arrows, and what do you know? The Arrows showed up, and they snuck out a one-point-away win at the SeatGeek Stadium. There were a lot of people expecting instant success for the expansion franchise this year, and so far, we're all looking kind of dim. 
26 to 27 was your final score in this one. Worth noting, all 27 points were scored by Toronto fly half Sam Malcolm. What a day. San Diego versus Dallas was up next. And, you know, speaking of bad predictions, I had said the Jackals would be much, much better this year. And so far, not so much. It was a shutout at the Snapdragon, the Legion in control the whole way, and winning 22 to zip when all was said and done. Seattle versus Houston was the last match on Saturday, and the Thundercats finally met their match, the Seawolves, winning at home yet again, looking formidable this year, a good old-fashioned double-up, 24 to 12. And then finally, we wrapped up round four with NOLA versus the New Jersey fast food workers. I did not see this one coming, a struggling New Orleans side took the wood to their cocky guests, winning in a big way, 31-5, to and the unpredictable MLR keeps on giving. So real quick, after the fourth round in Major League Rugby, half the teams have played four and the other half three. Seattle remained the only unbeaten team at 4-0, looking very strong. At the other end of the spectrum, the new team from Chicago and the slightly less than new team in Dallas both remain winless. Toronto and NOLA both got their first wins of the year and joined one win DC, while Utah, Atlanta, New Jersey, and my own beloved Free Jacks sit on two wins each. Phew! Well, my friends, by that music, you will know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. This week, the award goes to Reese Webb. Mr. Webb, despite the endless razzing from the comms this weekend, you were simply great. You spurred your team to its first win in what felt like a million years. Your kicking game was next level, and the level-headedness you brought to the table, for me, set the stage for a very hard-earned and deserved win. It was clear from the kickoff that your experience, your demeanor were in themselves huge boons for your ailing team. And in the end, you may have prevented a wooden spoon coming home. Reese Webb, congratulations to you for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck award winner. Well done, sir. Okay, that brings us to our updates and previews and lots to watch this coming weekend with Six Nations wrapping up for another year with Scotland versus Italy, France versus Wales, and finally, Ireland versus England all on Saturday the 18th. The Prem, the URC, the top 14 are all taking breathers, but in the Southern Hemisphere, we've got round four of Super Rugby Pacific with Hurricanes versus Waratahs and Chiefs versus Rebels on Friday, Blues versus Crusader. oh, Blues versus Crusaders, how good. Uh, Brumbies versus Moana Pacifica. Highlanders versus the Force on Saturday. And Reds versus the Fijian Drua. Finishing things up on Sunday. As always, be on the lookout for your official Game of the Week poll coming to a Twitter near you in just the next day or two. Meanwhile, it's the semifinals in Super Rugby Alpiki with competition leaders Chiefs Manawa facing the Hurricanes Pua and Matatu versus the Blues women. The winners, of course, will face off the following weekend at the FMG Stadium in Waikato for the title, with the losers playing for third place earlier that same day. Back home here in the MLR, we start with NOLA at home to face Utah, Atlanta versus San Diego, DC versus Toronto, 
and Chicago versus Dallas. All of those are on Saturday with the New Jersey Paralegals taking on my beloved Free Jacks on Sunday. So good. Well, <laughs> my friends, you know what? That does it for another week. And I, I still say March might be the best month for rugby. I mean, how good is all this, right? I, for one, am looking forward to getting back to the European competitions as well. And lest we forget, there will be playoff action in multiple leagues in our immediate future as well. Plus, Women's Six Nations. It's only a couple of weeks away. It's going to be incredible. Anyway, as always, thanks to all of you for coming along. To all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon. And of course, be well.